Welcome to the BMJ podcast. Today we're doing something a little bit different, and I'm joined by two of our education team. First of all, Kath Brazel, who is head of education at the BMJ. Hi, Kath. Hi. And Mabel Chu, who you'll recognise from the podcast, who is our practice editor. Hi, Mabel. Hello. So we're here to talk about a new policy that the BMJ has for education articles and also editorials,、um, in which we have a zero tolerance for competing interests.、Um, so, Kath, what is this、uh, new policy? What exactly are we saying here? Well, what we're saying is that from 2015, Duncan, all our clinical education articles and editorials will be authored by experts without financial ties to industry. So, by industry, what we're referring to is companies that be that may produce drugs, devices, or tests, as well as medical education companies and other companies with an interest in the topic that we're covering in the education article.、Mm. Um, Mabel, you've been looking after our practice section for a while.、Um, Why is this suddenly important? Do we think that there's been a problem with education articles in the past? That that maybe there's been a conflict going on that will have affected the the content that we publish? No,、um, we have always at the BMJ, or for a long time now at the BMJ,、um, sought to ask authors to declare their competing interests. But we've come to realise increasingly that disclosure is not enough. Um, we we know that transparency isn't enough to minimise or, or let alone eliminate、um, bias. Yet there is a great deal of evidence out there to show that making clinical decisions based on information、um, biased by com- com- competing interests, by commercial competing interests, can actually cause harm, as we saw with、um, the examples of rofecoxib and rosiglitazone. Where there was an orchestrated campaign by uh, their uh, manufacturers to fund、um, meetings, medical meetings, dinners,、um, studies, and review articles to promote、um, the use of the the drugs,、uh, sometimes off label,、um, yet all the while、uh, with mounting evidence of、uh, cardiotoxicity and.、Um, Potentially, of course,、uh, causing patients harm.、Um, we also know that readers consider articles written by、uh, authors with industry links to be less important, less relevant, less rigorous, and believable. And there have been several、uh, randomised controlled trials that show this now. So, what we're trying to do here is to encourage a shift in culture and to try and promote authors that. Don't have such links.、Um, in the past, we、um, moved from purely asking authors to disclose their competing interests to more recently、um, asking for a more detailed declaration of their competing interests,、um, examining these more closely, and then excluding authors with close ties.、Um, the new policy that Cass mentioned that we're hoping to roll out in 2015 is. A step further, of course. For the purposes of this, what are we actually saying is a conflict of interest? So we're saying that a conflict of interest arises when a person has a personal or organisational interest that may influence or appear to influence the work that they're doing. So usually this is a financial interest, but it may also be non-financial. 
I should add that we do ask authors to disclose non-financial competing interests because we realize that these matter too. However, we're not trying to eliminate all bias. That would be absolutely impossible. We've chosen to focus on financial competing interests linked to industry because these are easily measured, objective and with accompanying evidence of potential harm. Is this going to affect, you know, the ability to get experts to write education articles for us and, and potentially then the quality of those education articles, given that the people who are on the front line of research um, will have industry ties? Yes, well, that is that is uh, something that we're very much aware of. You know, are we just um, issuing edicts from an ivory tower and ignoring the cold, hard realities of um, funding CME and research, etc., in an era where budgets are, are shrinking? Um, are we, as you say, losing experts who are perhaps at the, at the cutting edge of things? Uh, are we spurning very productive collaborations? And are there just enough experts out there to uh, satisfy the needs of a weekly medical journal? Um, that's a proposition to be tested. Um, they are risks we're well aware of. Um, but we've decided that we're prepared to give this a go. It's a risk that we're prepared to take because we feel that the ethical arguments are compelling and we want to do what it takes to preserve and enhance um, reader trust in, in what they see and read in the BMJ. Um, and I might add too that we're rolling out the policy for editorials and education articles primarily because unlike research papers, these do not present um, primary data that readers can scrutinise and examine for themselves. Um, editorials and education articles, and by education articles I'm talking about things like our clinical reviews, our specialist state-of-the-art reviews, our practice articles which include 10-minute consultations, uh, rational testing, therapeutic series. Um, these articles uh, comprise the author's interpretation of selected data which is then translated into advice for clinical practice and sometimes for policy. So it has a direct bearing on patient welfare, um, yet on the other hand any potential biases are less visible to the reader, um, which is why we're, we're particularly um, aiming to do this for education and, and editorials. Are we the only ones who are this concerned about conflicts of interest? What about other journals, other other places where, where doctors get continuing medical education? Yes, we can learn from the experience of other journals. We know that in the 1990s and early 2000s, the New England Journal of Medicine had a strict policy banning authors with industry ties. However, in 2002, they abandoned this policy, feeling that their ability to provide comprehensive, up-to-date information, especially on recent advances in therapeutics, was constrained. It's interesting to note, though, that an editor-in-chief of the New England Journal, when that policy operated, explains how it can be made to work. He says, Sometimes it required going down the list until we found someone who didn't have a conflict, but we never had to compromise and accept someone without sufficient expertise to do a good job. It's also important to note that the 
journal American Family Physician, which primarily publishes clinical reviews, has not considered articles by authors who have financial ties with industry for over 20 years. So it does seem feasible, but as Kath's mentioned, it is a journey and it may be that in some fields we won't be able to find suitable authors that are sufficiently unconflicted. And if that's the case, we'll certainly let our readers know. So Kath, um, going back to you, you're overseeing this. So does that mean from January uh, all our competing, our, all our education will be competing interest-free? Part of the problem is that some of these articles are a long time in the making. They can take up to a year to, to be produced and to be published. So what part of the process is to study how we're doing over the course of the next few months to see how long it takes us to recruit authors and you know if it's not the first it may be the second third or fourth or fifth so we're trying to work out how how long that's going to take but also as we start to um, see the policy rolling out we will see more and more articles coming through that have authors who have no conflicts of interest and that that is the ultimate aim great um the editorial that uh, Mabel and Kath mentioned there is now available online on bmj.com where you can find the full wording of uh, exactly everything about the BMJ's new policy on conflicts of interest. <laughs> <laughs>